everyone, welcome to Quirky Cooking Chats. I'm Jo Whitten and on this episode I will be talking with my good friend Marcus Pierce, who is the author of Your Exceptional Life. Marcus has had a very interesting um, background story which he often shares and you may have heard it, but basically he was a former smoking, binge drinking journalist, radio and TV producer, Um, He had a big media career. Um, He spent a lot of time um, reporting on the AFL footy show. He just did like so many different radio shows and all this kind of thing. But his sports media life um, led him in a very unhealthy direction. And when he met his wife, who was a chiropractor, he started to transform his health from a, he says, a Red Bull guzzling meat eating smoker to a ginger tea sipping teetotaling vegan. So he went completely opposite and decided his um, direction in life needed to be um, towards veganism and really Um, That's what he thought would help him to be healthy and to live a long time and have quality of life. And then somewhere along the way, he realized it wasn't all about having a super strict, um, very harsh diet, that quality of life and longevity um, really were affected by so much more than diet. And he started to chill a bit (laughs) and he started to put other things into his life that created a much healthier well-balanced life and he began a um, podcast in 2013 with Damien Christophe who I've had on the show before Um, and the podcast is called 100 Not Out and you can listen to that one um, online I'll put the link below Um, 100 Not Out Mastering the Art of Living Well and they have some great episodes on there I think there's more than 400 episodes or 500 episodes now Um, And they've interviewed so many interesting people, including um, the happiest man on earth um, who survived the Holocaust. They've they've interviewed really fascinating people. But the thing that I love about what Marcus teaches and Damien um, is that the importance of um, having a really balanced life for good health. So not putting all your eggs in one basket of nutrition or exercise or, you know, whatever it is and saying that's the end all and be all. And one of the areas that they're really passionate about and that Marcus speaks about a lot is community, connection, friendships, um, the importance of having like-minded people supporting you and surrounding you. You know, they're your cheer squad, they're your they're your help when things get hard. Um, they give you energy and motivation to go after your goals. Um, so in this episode, we talk a lot about that, but we also talk about just the basic um, ideas of quality of life um, and not just um, trying to be healthy to live a long time, but um, learning to be healthy in many different areas of life um, so that you have quality of life and enjoy your life. And that's what we want you know, when we think about being healthy. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and um, you can find all the details about Marcus's website and his upcoming events and his book in the notes below. Hope you enjoy it. Here is Marcus. Hey, Marcus, how you doing? 
Oh, Joe, I'm not with you in person, but it feels so good to be back with uh, in your company. Um, and we were just talking uh, before we hit record about seeing each other again in the flesh uh, when long. you're down my way. And I cannot wait to give yeah. you a big kiss and hug. That I in real life connection. And at your favourite cafe, which I also like. I think that will be a good idea. <laughs> a shout out to our good friends at uh, the Footbridge in Brunswick Heads. Woo-woo. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, we're having a bit of a team trip for the quirky team and getting together for a few days and spending some time connecting. And um, most of our team hasn't met each other. I was explaining to Marcus because two of them live in Melbourne and two of us in far north Queensland, three if you include my sister who is not going to come sadly. Um, And it will be just so nice to all get together and spend that time together to connect. And that's what we're actually wanting to talk about today is the importance of connection for so many things, including health and well-being, but also teams working well together. Um, So, Marcus, do you want to just start with a little bit about who you are, what you do and the wonderful book you've written? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I suppose I'm a... Um, I'm a reformed raging vegan. I was uh, shaving with avocado, literally shaving with avocado. I laughed avocado. so much when I heard that. <laughs> well, it's true. It's I don't even know if it's embarrassing anymore. I just think it's important uh, in the health it. and wellness world to remind people that there are people out there like me that are shaving in Ireland with Kenyan avocados because you can't get any avocados in Ireland. They don't grow there. Um and I was so raging that I thought that it was the fountain of youth and that I was the enlightened soul living a great long life thanks to my raging veganness. Um, and your and avocado after uh, shaving cream. Avocado, which actually, if you Google it now, there is like avocado shaving products. So I was a pioneer, Joe. Oh, you could have made I some money there. I believe this, but I was using real <laughs> avocado. I think avocado shaving cream must be some greenwashing fake avocado Probably. or something. But um, I really did think that food was the fountain of youth. And um, I read a book. Is it up there? Uh, Healthy at 100. I'll just get it. We're on YouTube and the rest so we can make it very real. Yeah. I read this book by uh, a great man called John Robbins. It's called Healthy at 100. And John Robbins was the heir to the throne of the Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Corporation. So you can only imagine how much ice cream John Robbins ate growing up. And um, his uncle, Bert Baskin, died uh, of a heart attack. And his dad, Irv Robbins, had heart disease. And John Robbins realized that being the heir to the throne of an ice cream company wasn't going to be great for his health and longevity. So he became a vegan author and researcher and wrote this book, Healthy at 100. And as a vegan, I genuinely thought, like many of us do when we read a book, that confirmation bias is what we call it, that this book would confirm to me that I was gonna be a vegan and healthy at 100. But I got to page two of the introduction of the book and there was a study uh, by the Yale School of Public Health. And this study interviewed over 600 people over the course of 20 years uh, and it asked them the same questions over those years and questions such as, as you age, you become less useful, agree or disagree. As you age, uh, you become more of a burden on society, agree or disagree. As you age, you realize your best years are behind you and you realize it's all downhill from here and that you realize that you're too old to do the things you love the most. 
And what it found was that these people that had a disempowered view of getting older died seven and a half years earlier, younger than these people that had an empowered view of aging. And this was it was mind blowing because here I was thinking that if I was vegan, I would live the longest. But what I realized it was my belief system about my future, which was going to have a seven and a half year difference on my longevity, not what I ate, not who I was married to, not how much money I had in the bank or what car I drove or what job I had or if I was doing CrossFit or yoga, a simple belief. And so ever since then, that was a real light bulb, epiphany, shiver down the spine moment. (laughs) I've been obsessed with helping people not just create longevity, but quality longevity. Mm. We We have a longevity problem in Australia where we average 83 years uh, lifespan. That puts us eighth on the longevity ladder out of 194 recognized countries by the World Health Organization. But we plummet down the ladder, Joe, to 21st for quality of life because we have 12 terrible, morbid, increased meds, chronic disease, years spent in nursing home, high incidence of dementia, and that robs us of our quality of life. So my big awakening is, you know, who cares if you're having an organic chicken salad, but you hate your job, you've got no friends, you spend more than you earn, and you actually think you're too old to have fun or too old to travel or too old to play the trumpet or too old to change. Yeah, um, love it. So, you know, we've got a really big um, belief problem and a lot of that is driven by the mainstream media but it's also driven potentially by by our parents or by our boss or by our friends or by our community at large and so um you know you and i've had plenty of chats about this but it's not so much about what we eat i think it's how we eat and who we're eating with um and i suppose that who we're eating with is going to be a large chunk of what we talk about today well, we, we got into this subject with Damo not long ago. So Damien is the other half of your 100 Not Out podcast. Um, and if anyone missed that podcast, it was gold. It was so good just talking about the philosophy of health and people having the, you know, or even all of us starting off thinking, well, food's made such a big difference for me. It must be the end all and be all. And then realizing, wait, it's so much more. Um, I just have to put a story in there to illustrate your point about that mindset though. Um, My mum was in America visiting her family and um, she was given a cake by my auntie, which she looked at the ingredients and nearly died because it had sodium lauryl sulfate in this angel food cake. And she was like, you know, do you see this ingredient? Makes the icing foam up or something. I don't know. She's like, do you see this ingredient? What what is this doing in a cake? And and my darling auntie, who I adore, said to mum, oh, look, don't even worry about it. You know, if you worry about your food um, and just try to be healthy all the time, it just means you'll end up longer in a nursing home. (laughs) And that was the idea that, you know, if you focus on healthy eating, it wasn't, you know, and, you know, all the other things that help you to be well. Um, it just means you'll live longer and be more miserable for longer when you're old. <laughs> and that's, this, is, this is where it gets really interesting. It doesn't interesting have to about, be like that, does it? Correct. 
Correct. And this is where it gets really interesting about human beings because we really are almost obsessed with attaching ourselves to like one truth or, you know, the magic bullet or mm. the fountain of youth. And I get asked so often like, you know, Marcus, you've interviewed over 200 of the world's centenarians and graceful ages. Like, what's their secret? Yeah. It's like, well, what if there was like, 427 secrets you know exactly um, would, would you go and do them all because like one i'm sorry is not enough life is just not that simple and uh. for every person that has had a great diet um and lived to a hundred there's someone that's smoke and drunk whiskey and done all the wrong things and they also have lived, lived to 100, 100. <laughs> so I know. No, I, that's why I think that food is so important to have a really high standard for your mm. diet. But recognize that food, a great diet gives you a great level of energy, a great level of vitality, and over the long run will give you will add quality to your quantity of life because yeah. obesity contributes 33% to all cancer and 33% to all diabetes. And any health professional will tell you that your body shape or 80% of your body shape is dictated by your diet. So, or it's like, you know, your diet is 80% responsible for your body shape. So we've yeah. got to be really clear here that your diet is really important, but it's not as simple as just what you eat. Because mm. Joe, you know, you and I have had conversations about this before, about the social anxiety that people's food choices can create for them yeah. but also yeah. recognizing that if you're having to go on a healing diet and you've shared this story with isaac over the years as well it's going to create the fortitude you create out of saying no to certain social situations is probably going to be more empowering than the diet itself because yeah. it's not just what you eat it's actually your ability to say no to not go to certain places to be actually able to dine with others who are eating all the foods that you really want to eat but you're having some stewy little meat dish whilst everyone else is having, <laughs> you know, ice cream. So I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but that is, that is like really character building. And it that is. is, when I reflect on my raging vegan days, like we were also raging teetotalers, not having a drink in Ireland, which is like the capital of alcohol <laughs> consumption and the capital of probably meat consumption. Yeah. But gee, like the 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 social muscle that I think created by still being able to socialize with people that ate meat and drank alcohol, mm -hmm. I think that's the really great um, thing for diets. If if we were to really talk about diets for a moment, like if anything, don't make a diet forever, but put yourself in those awkward social environments where you're going, sorry, no thanks, and then they go, what do you mean? And then you've got to actually engage in that conversation for a little period of time and if you've still got friends that can love you regardless of what you eat and what you drink then i really think they're your friends isaac always says that about his years on strict gaps when he was working on healing through mental health issues this is my son isaac and um he says you know it really helps you to see who your real friends are because they will listen to why you need to do this and they will try and understand and then they will actually help you. And he talks about the day that he spent the night at a friend's house and, um, you know, they were actively looking for things for him to eat. Oh, how about you try some eggs and there's some cabbage here and we could make this. And his young friends at like 14 were helping him cook something that he could eat because the family was eating something that he couldn't. 
Um, and just the way that they reached out and tried to help him through that hard time that he was going through and didn't go, oh, you're crazy and just, mm. you know, leave him to it. Um, it does. It really shows who your true friends are. Oh, food is a great test of humanity and being mm. humane. You know, like it's interesting how much it's become a status symbol and a, and a source of judgment yeah. and a fuel for hate and division. Mm. Um, the, vegan, the vegan or the meat versus no meat conversation is creating a lot of anger and, mm. and um, tension and judgment. And you even look at some of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, some of the um, activism there's a lot of hate in the activism. And I think, you know, we should all be able to sit around a dining table with eight different diets and everyone can eat and everyone can be merry and enjoy each other's company yeah. without passing judgment on anyone else's plate. Like when I was growing up, it was mind your own plate, you know, <laughs> you know, because you go, mum, uh, Olivia's not having the pumpkin and you made me have the pumpkin. Why is Olivia having the pumpkin? You know, like, and she said, mind your own plate. I was like, it's really I love that. I'm going to remember that saying. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a part of just social vernacular, but I've since come <laughs> to learn that not many people have heard of it and they hear it and they go, yeah. But um, I do think mind your own plate is just, it's a great comeback. If someone ever wants to judge you for what's on your plate, listen here, champ, mind your own plate. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You can put t make T-shirts, mind your own plate. Mind your own plate. That's it. That's a whole another conversation. Merchandise. As a, as a, anyway, we'll leave that one, yeah. But speaking of sitting around a table, no matter what anyone else is eating and having that connection and friendship, um, isn't that, you know, what we're wanting? We don't want to, isn't it, um, like you feel that awful feeling sometimes of that sinking in your stomach when you feel like the odd one out. Um, you're all tense. Maybe you're at the in-laws for a meal and they do not understand the way you eat and you're getting hassled. Um, it's such a horrible feeling. My in-laws aren't like that, just saying. Um, but mother or mother. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you do hear about it a lot. You hear about people feeling so much stress over their food um, and over any kind of changes, you know, that they feel different from other people. So what is the importance of having connection and community and friendships and understanding for our health start talking to us about some of that marcus because i know you're good at good at this subject yeah, sure <laughs> and i do think though because this is bringing up a lot of stuff for me particularly from when i was vegan or on a juice cleanse or a water fast or a whatever i think it's mm. so important that when we are that person is to actually be on the um initiative of conversation to actually lead conversations rather than be waiting to be asked about our uh, food choices because I know just towards the end of our vegan days it was like people would go so why are you vegan I'd be like you know what let's talk about something else because you know if you disagree or even if you agree and there's so many questions like I'd rather just eat and you know talk about my own thing and mind my own weather or you know, and I, I do think that there are times when uh, people are on a diet. You don't have to talk about it all the time. Oh, um, you know, and I, I think it's okay to tell people, like, can we talk about the latest movie you, you you watched or something? Because I just don't really want to talk about it today. And that's okay. Like, it's yeah. really important to own that. But community... Um, you know, we were talking about how excited we are to see each other in the flesh, but you were saying you've got 
team members coming from all parts of Australia. And the instant thought I had about it was, it is so much more, so much harder, more difficult to connect in person than it is digitally. And it requires so much more effort. But mm. anything valuable in life requires effort. And unfortunately, the COVID years has very much even more atrophied or weakened our social muscle. That's um, very true. There is more hesitation. We are um, some, you know, Damo, uh, our mutual friend Damien Christoph said, we've become more piss fit. Everyone can drink alcohol better than they ever have. But socially, they're more unfit than ever before. Mm. Um, and it's really true because people are, um, they're on edge because even airlines are cancelling flights, you know, just hello to all of the dear people working at Jetstar at the moment. I know it's not your fault, but to all consumers, <laughs> don't buy a Jetstar F air ticket because everyone on earth that does get their flight cancelled. And yeah, My son um, had his cancel the other day and no, ended up waiting the day like, in Cairns for him to get home. So socialising in the flesh, which may require an airline ticket, is now causing a whole level of anxiety mm. that didn't exist two years ago. There was a lot more certainty traveling by plane than there was. Oh, yeah. um, so it just, for me, um, it, it just kind of rekindles that urgency of just how important it is because if you can navigate the gauntlet of airline travel or um, catching up with people that are you know far away from you, whether it's you're going to rekindle the flame of family that you haven't seen for two or three years, or friends, or you know nieces and nephews that you haven't met because they they were born during the COVID years and so on. Like all credit to you for having the courage to pull out those travel credits and get them back into good use because <laughs> it is um, filled with tension and it just reminds me that. In a, in, a, in a sad and somber way, there are a lot of people that aren't going to choose to regrow that muscle. Mm. They're going to go back into the cave, the home, into the cave, you know, um, not going to want to socialise a lot. You even look at major events mm. um, around the globe. They're not as populated as they once were. People are more cautious um, yeah. of going to, you know, sporting events and um, concerts and so on um, because Either, you know, I, I don't know about you, Joe, but even the healthiest people that I know, Pierce family included, we have had so much more go through the family this year, colds and flus. Yes. Everyone's got a cough, you know, yeah. conjunctivitis, sore throat, coughs, noses, fluey, weird stuff, influenza A, B, someone else has got COVID, which is yesterday's news. No one cares about anyone with COVID anymore. <laughs> it, is, it is like inescapable mm. to actually have stuff. So... I feel for those people that are really wanting to socialize, but they feel the risks are too great. But for those of you that are listening and watching and you know that you can feel it in your bones that if you don't activate your social life even more, you are on the fast track to depression. Mm -hmm. And you know that if you do activate your social life even more, you're going to feel far more connected to people around you. Um, and I genuinely feel at the moment, Joe, uh, for people like you and I that are in the event space, that people in our community, that wellness, personal growth community, their number one yearning in life at the minute 
is a room filled with like-minded people because the last two and a half years, they may have felt socially ostracized. They may have felt incredibly lonely. And now that it's legal to congregate in rooms together again, they're recognizing how much they've missed what we almost took for granted. We had event overload in Mm. the three or four years, I would think you would agree, Joe, between 2015 and 19. If you even look at you and I with wellness summits and then People back in 2014, 15, there weren't that many events. By the time we had 2019, I'm running events, you're running events, Cindy's running events, Kim's running events, Karen's running events, everyone's running their own events. We had so many events on the go and then for two and a half years, no event. And the thing that we all loved most about events was not us talking on the stage. Mm. What was it, Joe? What did we love the most? Meeting everybody, connecting, chatting, hanging out, seeing people face-to-face. Face-to-face. It wasn't how much money we made, how much we spoke. Um, You know, it was actually who we met Mm. and who we actually got to see. We, You know, you and I and Cindy and Kim, um, we would see each other three, four, five, six times a year (laughs) on the the circuit. And I think that's... People even that are the attendees to these events, they got to meet people and they saw the same people at these events. And this for me is what people are missing. It's that routine regularity, which Mm -hmm. we would call community, Mm -hmm. um, which we're missing. And, you know, I think um, more so than ever now, and again, I'm saying all the stuff I was saying for ever since 2014, but loving where you live, not just the house that you live in, your community is more important than your house. Mm. You know, you and I have spoken many times before about your house, Joe, and it's more <laughs> about the community yes. than the house. Yes. You no, know? uh, because your house will keep you warm at night, but your community will not just stave off depression and social isolation and mental illness. Your community will make you feel connected. It will give you variety and spark and humor and laughter. And you'll know you're in the right community when you see a pothole in the road and you want to go and fix it yourself or the local toilet being vandalized and you want to do a little working bee to get it fixed. Like that's when you know you're in the right town <laughs> um, or suburb. And I think that, you know, if there's been many blessings of the COVID years, but these are the reminders Um or the seeds of awareness from a community perspective that I think we are becoming more and more aware of. That's a very long answer to your question. I apologize. No, that's, that's all right. I just want you to talk about what, yeah, what you have learned. That's great. And, you know, when we are sort of hiding away, like we have been for the last couple of years, um, it does get really hard to reach out and you start to feel like it's just more comfortable at home and, I've had that feeling a lot in the last year. I've been very hesitant to start um, getting out of my comfort zone and organising events because naturally I'm an introvert, but when I get up on stage and talk about what I love or I talk one-on-one to people about what I love, um, I'm fine. You know, I can completely come out of my shell, but my shell is my comfortable place. Um, and I was feeling like I didn't want to go anywhere or do anything or travel anywhere. And then um, I had an invite to go down to a cafe in Cairns and meet um, someone and just have a chat. And it was like it's made me remember how much I loved that connection of talking to people that are like-minded, that have the same kind of interests as you, 
that are interested in so many different things and want to learn and grow and discover. And it's like, oh, I've been missing this. And it suddenly reignited that spark. Um, And we also had a really lovely um, thing happen with some friends that we'd met at Wellness Summits um, who had become really good friends from Melbourne. Um, And every time I was traveling in the Melbourne area, they always insisted I stay with them, cooked me meals. They were just like, took me in like family and took my kids in like family as well, just lovely people. And we found out that um, they had traveled up to Cairns because of illness and needing to get away from the cold in Melbourne. And so we've been spending time with them every week and just um, wow. it's like it's almost medicinal. Like Absolutely. Socialising is very healing, 100%. both of us. It's like every time we spend time together, we both feel so good, so happy. It's like we haven't seen you for four years. Like, this is amazing. And it's. And yeah, there's a great study. Um, just hold on two seconds, Joe. I've got my Go sister in law speaking of community. Just hold on <laughs> two seconds. There you go. My sister in law has just dropped off a birthday present for my Aww. third child. Um, <laughs> so we have, um, there's a number of studies around socializing that demonstrate that a great social life is more impactful to your longevity and quality of life than your diet. It came out of Harvard. Mm. It was done on over 5,000 people and found that people with a great social life and an average diet lived longer and better quality of life than those with a great diet and an average social life. I would love to see that study if you can give us the link to put on the podcast yeah, later. You've got a copy of the book, don't yeah. you? Yep. So I'm going to just get straight into it and say, if you go, Joe, to page 285. I'll write it down. In the Social Life uh, References, mm-hmm. um, it is number one. Um, it is number one there. Okay. Yeah, Lisa Berkman. Yep. So page 285. All right, got it. Um, so... What people not forget, but they remember when they socialize with people that they love is just how good socializing makes us feel mm. when we're in the act of socializing. And when, you, when you're when you like driving home after catching up with a friend, you're just like, oh. and when you leave that social experience better than when you arrived, yes, you can't ignore the, that healing impact of the social engagement because if you were stressed and adrenal when you got there and then you just felt like you had an endorphin rush um, as a result of it, everyone, I think a lot of people recognize that that is a very healthy response. So my kind of like corny one-liner is socializing is energizing dot, dot, dot when done with the right people, but it's demoralizing um, when done with people that we don't enjoy being around. And that's why we have to guard our peer group Mm. Um, religiously, but also, mm. you know, you mentioned as an introvert, introverts love smaller groups, one-to-ones, yeah. one to two, three, four, or five, but they're going to find it a lot more exhausting in mm. bigger groups. And, and as you said about events, doesn't mean you don't like them, but they're ex- when you get to the end of that event, you're spent. You crash. And, and you're absolutely <laughs> spent. Yeah. And I know ex- uh, introverts that, you know, live in an extroverted world and they talk about the, they're almost despondent after events because they've just used all their emotional energy and all their physical energy. And they're just like, 
I, I, I can't. You go home and sleep yeah. for a day. <laughs> so it's really important in this context of socialising and community to know thyself. Mm. If you're economical with your words and you don't love engaging in a lot of deep conversation, that is completely okay. And if you're someone like me that could just talk all day and just feel so juiced by, you know, talking like this all day, then... <laughs> You know, that's great. Just know how you like to roll and, and get on with it. But don't let anyone tell you that you should be more out there or, you know, or you should be quiet. Yeah, so when you're really energised by certain people but not energised by other people, I guess that's you know, makes it really important who you choose as your close friends. Um, I've had friends that have come over and spent a few hours and afterwards I'm like, feeling really down and like, well, oh, that was that was a big chunk of my day and what was actually useful in it. But then other friends like these ones I was just talking about that have been visiting from Melbourne, it's like afterwards you're just so happy and excited that they're here and we're going to meet up again next week and, you know, you've had great chats. And, you, don't, you don't want them to leave. Yeah, yeah you, you don't, don't want, want them, them to leave. To leave. It's a completely different time. feeling. Um, and I hope I can, I hope it's okay to say this, but it just made me think, you know, he needed this. He needed this boost totally. of knowing that and people love and care about him. Absolutely. Yeah. And do not underestimate the difference in dynamic and energy between friends and family. Yeah. So I'm a big believer that your family is a source of your social life. Like we live two doors down from Sarah's mum and dad. I know you're just across the road from... Yeah. Your My folks, parents. and this is like a really big thing. If you've got a social life with your family, that's great um, because I know we do. But also yeah. don't forget that when you catch up with your friends, it's a whole different buzz. It's a whole different mm. like theology yeah. that you have. And uh, Bronnie Ware in her great book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, talks about this in the context of friends. When friends go to visit their dying friends, the room lights up because they're cracking jokes or they're having intimate dear moments and it's so nice. But the family, they're walking on eggshells. You know, they don't want to talk about death and they don't want to, you know, mm. uh, they're sleeping and they're resting. But a friend walks in and their eyes light up. And mm. you just said it. Your friend is in a completely different energetic space as yeah. a result of this engagement. And just as I said earlier about when you leave a one-hour catch-up with a friend and you just feel lighter in your heart, more happier about the world, or the converse, as you said, with a friend um, or maybe an acquaintance that came over to visit for a couple of hours and you were just like, oh. Like, that was heavy. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't underestimate the, 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 the short-term and long-term impacts of mm. poor social connections. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about your book and... Um, maybe a bit of an overview and the kinds of things that people can expect from reading it. Because I know um, my daughter, India, is a big fan of yours, as you know. I love India. <laughs> She's a wonderful, wonderful young lady. And she has been very my, supportive of 100 Not Out. She nicked my copy of your book soon after I got it, but that's okay because I got the audio, audio I'll version. I'll send another copy out. <laughs> Um, that's very kind of you. I'm sending you another copy. Oh, that's sweet. Well, I can pick it up when I come see you. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's we'll see, very. I might get to you first. <laughs> oh, you might. It's very applicable to any age, really. Like my daughter's twenty four, 
and um, I won't tell you how old I am, um, but it's no 28. Just, yeah, 28. <laughs> um, and it's just so applicable to all ages what you've written about. So I'd love you to, yeah, give a bit of an overview. Oh, it's really kind of you to say that because I did write the book with the intention that a 25 and 75 year old could be reading the same page and both have an epiphany or aha exactly. moment. Um, because this is a book for human beings. It's not a book for mums or dads yeah. or teenagers. It's a book for human beings because in Australia, we have a longevity crisis. Mm. And that crisis is that we're a wealthy nation that can keep people alive for a very long time. But there's nothing to say that your longevity is going to be uh, accompanied by quality of life. Mm. And the only person that can create that is you and that's really the premise of the book that longevity happens to us but quality longevity happens by us it's created by us and there is a recipe for that quality longevity that that uh that includes eight ingredients and the order of those ingredients is absolutely pivotal as to whether you create quality longevity or not so if you're all about nutrition but you don't put anything into your purpose and fulfillment in life and you don't put anything into your social life because my friends don't understand me then you're not going to create quality longevity you'll die of stress related diseases and you won't enjoy that length and quality of life that many of us crave at the same time if you put all your eggs into the ingredient called family but you've taken no time for your purpose in life or who am I without my kids mm. or who am I if I'm not a mum, then that's really where the work begins because before your kids came along, you were a human being and when you've got an empty nest, you'll have time to fill as well. So yeah. what brings you fulfillment and purpose is really important. So um, without going into all the details because I know we don't have a lot of time, but your quality longevity is your purpose, which is all about you, your movement, and your social life. So it's become completely overwhelmingly clear that movement is more important than diet for longevity. And I can say that having interviewed all kinds of people from all walks of life, whether they're Holocaust survivors, war survivors, war widows, wealthy people, poor people, vegans, vegetarians, paleo, no matter what, um, people that eat uh, have so many different diets. But what I see with the graceful ages is that they move regularly mm. and they can be on all different types of diets. I know so many people on diets that don't move the car. They put the great petrol in the car, but they don't move the car. They just don't move their their vehicle, their body, uh, because they, they think the nutrition will um, get them by. So the secret is purpose, movement, and social life for longevity. But then to create a real heightened quality of longevity where it's not getting to 71 or two and getting dementia or chronic diseases and increased medications and all the rest of it, then it's nutrition, really important. I've already mentioned about the obesity and cancer incidences with poor nutrition and obesity. It's family. Your family life is not necessarily going to make you live longer. It may when your family becomes a part of your purpose in older years, like the role of a grandparent or an elder or being there for an ill sibling. But there's too many too many Holocaust survivors that lost their entire family that lived to 90 or 100 mm. for me to say that 
um, your family is a, and your connection to your family is a big connection for your longevity. Um, there's also, you know, Victor Hugo who wrote Les Miserables, um, which many people have watched the, the movie or seen the theatre or, or read the book. Um, he was born in 1802 in France when life expectancy was 42 and he lived to 1885. Uh, he lived. He died in 1885, age 83. So he doubled life expectancy. <laughs> wow! But he buried. He buried four of his children, mm. and the fifth child was in a, men- a mental institution, um, and not in a fit state of being. So, mm. for someone to double their life expectancy but bury four children, it is just mind-boggling. Family doesn't come first for longevity. I would say family comes first in a crisis because you'll drop all hands on deck. Joe Witten will encourage the whole family to go gaps, which I always say is the most intense, heart-wrenching, character-building diet or <laughs> protocol you will ever go on. And ask I think anyone veganism's, that- hard. veganism's hard uh, to me. Gap, gap, <laughs> gaps is 10x on going vegan. But uh, it's all subjective. I'm only having yeah. a bit of fun. But what I'm saying is it's so important to recognize that it was the family support of Joe and, and everyone doing the diet that is the enriching part here. Family comes first in a crisis. Isaac needed to be healed. Family comes first. Everyone drop your diet stuff. We're going on gaps. Mm. We're going gut and psychology syndrome. We're going hard and we're doing it. And it's just an inspiring story. <laughs> Family comes first in a crisis, but not necessarily for longevity. Yeah. And then we talk about growth and you know, loving to learn will yield a great level of enthusiasm. But having no inspired hobbies and being sucked into the mainstream media vortex just creates a level of boredom that is just so predictable and inane mm. and it just it's, it's just, it feels like a waste of life when you just, yeah. anyone that's been stuck down a social media vortex is like, oh, my gosh, I'll never get that half an hour back. What am I doing? <laughs> you know. Although the, uh, the funny dog videos, I don't know, I kind of think <laughs> they're kind of joyful. Uh, it's when you go down, it's the rabbit hole you they never intended in. to be on. Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, and then there's wealth. So wealth in Australia is really important for me. It's the smallest piece, it's the smallest ingredient um, in the recipe called Your Exceptional Life. But in a wealthy country, it's really, really important. We're not subsistence farmers here. Mm. We're not living a day at a time. I know many people are, but the, the actual culture of the country is the culture of a wealthy nation. And so um, spending less than you earn and investing the difference and recognizing that the pension in Australia is relative poverty. So please don't aspire to go on the pension when you get older because you are living in poverty in Australia if you're on the pension. It's really important to lose any uh, qualms about money uh, because you lose all independence when you have a poor financial health line and you can't do what you want when you want. Um, you can't buy your grandparents the, or your grandkids the presents you want to buy them or you can't afford to go on the family holiday because you don't have the money. Like It's really important to recognize the role that money plays in our lives in Australia. Money is nothing but a vehicle to live the life that you want to live. Um, you're not impoverished if you take your pension to Bali, but in Australia, you face the same 
uh, challenges in the line of can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that, all because of money. So mm. those quality of life enhances are nutrition, family, growth, and wealth. And then I put a, uh, um, your spirit, soul, and faith around that entire exceptional life blueprint um, triangle because we've got to put our spirit into every area of life. If we yeah. don't, life just becomes one big to-do list and we'll, we're fulfilling other people's needs. But your Everything spirit is, is really putting your heart and soul into every area of life. Everything is sacred. And it's not about good and bad, right and wrong, love and hate. It's seeing the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, the love and the hate. Um, there's a great um, Rumi quote and it's something like, um, out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And I'm like, let's all meet there. You know, let's sit around the, the dining table with everyone's edgy, fringy diets, uh, with their blended families, their steps, their in-laws, their adopted children, the rich and the poor. You know, it doesn't matter where you're from. And let's meet in the field. And I think that's the challenge of our spirit right now is because we are being um, led particularly through media or politics or families or communities or cultures of just being uh, polarized. Mm -hmm. And there's no spirit in polarity. Um, there's spirit in finding the actual, the middle way. If we can live in that space, it's a lot easier because you stop worrying about what everyone else is doing or thinking or believing and you just get on with life and love people for who they are, not what they do or what they believe. Um, and mind your own nice heart. Mind your own heart. <laughs> exactly. Mind your own plate. Mind your own heart. Mind your own body, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So that's my that's my little monologue um, of the book. It's a deep dive into all those eight areas of life. And the corny dad joke byline is make the rest of your life the best of your life. Um, <laughs> because sadly, many people don't think the future will be the best of their life. They think the few, the best parts happened yesterday. Um, and so the book is about reimagining what life could be like if you had that attitude of yeah. a compelling future. No, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that with us. We better finish up because it's probably, I don't know how long we've been really, but um, oh, nearly an hour. So wow. can you just give us a couple of um, ideas of where people can find you and what you're doing? You've got something coming up, I believe. Yeah, sure. The best place I would love people to find me, I don't have all the details yet, but I would love to re-engage with the world in real life. I'm running my two-day Byron Bay event, which you were a guest speaker at at the very first one back in 2015. This is yeah. called Create Your Exceptional Life. Um, day one is all longevity, purpose, movement, social. Day two is all quality of life, nutrition, family, growth, and wealth. And then we wrap your spirit, soul, and faith around it all. Um, that's October 15 and 16, I think it is. It's a Saturday, Sunday. It's 16 hours of a life audit and a script writing process for your compelling future. Um, and I just would love to, to, I'd love people to come along to be in the flesh. It's not a Zoom webinar or anything. It's Connect. in Byron Bay, <laughs> Byron Theatre, the same place that you spoke at um, yeah. all those years ago. I don't have all the time and money um, details yet. So if people are interested, uh, just go to my website and um, register for my email newsletter. Um, that website is Marcus Pierce dot com dot au um or if that's too hard um uh, find I'll put me on the, the link below anyway yep thank you just at marcus d pierce um on the socials but the algorithm sometimes get in the way doesn't it joe people mm. people that want to see what you're doing but 
Zuckerberg and his friends won't let won't let you. So email's <laughs> a bit easier if you if you genuinely want to know details, then um yes. yeah, um register your email um at my website. That's so good. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody out there spends this weekend connecting, enjoying your friendships, getting out there, being brave, even though you've been at home for so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, brave, won't call a friend you haven't seen for a long time. Do the unurgent but very important. Might have been 10 years since you saw a, a friend from school. Pick up a phone. Um, you become who you hang around. So maybe you've got to check who you are hanging around. Mm. Um Maybe don't catch up if they're if they're vampire uh, energy vampires. <laughs> yeah. Maybe take yourself out for a chai and uh, write down the people you want to get to know more or reconnect with. Yes, that's a really good. You know what I love is when people are in my area and they say, "Joe, could I actually meet up with you at a cafe?" I probably nine times out of ten say yes. So guys, be brave yeah. if you're in my area. <laughs> I'm going to come so meet up with good. you at a cafe, Marcus. So it's yes, can't wait to see you in Brunswick Heads, and I'll see you um, soon. I look forward to being up. I've never been to the Atherton Tablelands. Oh, well, I've got up. to get up there. Yeah, maybe we can do an event together. A little <laughs> two hour. Go. Yeah, we'll come. do an Ikari and cooking demo. Oh, Not now that sounds cooking like fun. Demo. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I'll be in that. All right. Thanks All right, so much, definitely. Marcus. See ya. Have Thanks, a great Joe. weekend, everyone. You too.